Well, good evening. It's great to be with you here at Blessings uh, for this uh, Sunday, Sunday evening service. And it's great just to share in, in worship with you and also have the opportunity to, uh, to do uh, some teaching from the book of Revelation. I, uh, I started a series in Revelation at Fellowship uh, just a couple of weeks ago. So it's always a little nerve-wracking turning a sermon into a teaching time, but I've done the best that I could. Um, I know Pastor Hilmer now well. We're serving together at Fellowship, and he's, he's said a lot of great things about you guys, so it's, it's finally good to be here. And uh, Although I th- someone uh, reminded me, I did lead worship during the um, summer of 2021 at Timothy Christian School, I think, so we did worship together then. Let's, uh, let's pray together and just ask for God's blessing on his, the reading of the Word and the preaching this, this evening. Heavenly Father, thank you for just a, a beautiful day. Uh, which the book of creation is, is compelling us and encouraging us, commanding us to, to proclaim your, your wonder and your goodness and uh, just to bear witness to, to who you are and what you've done, and especially in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just thank you for each other. Thank you for this, uh, this time in the service in which we can together read uh, a part of your word and Thank you for the book of Revelation. In a, in a way, it's, it's got a bunch of mysteries for us, and a lot of, the, a lot of what's been written uh, only tends to maybe confuse us a little further. Uh, and yet, at its heart, as we're going to see tonight, it's, it's, it's a letter to the churches. And, here, uh, and then these particular messages or sermons to the churches in Revelation 2 and, and 3. And just with uh, just this wonderful message that Jesus Christ has won and will win. He has won this victory over sin and death. He's going to come back and, and, uh, and bring the full victory, bring the new heavens and the new earth, uh, deal with evil completely and permanently. And, um, and so these churches, in the midst of their struggles, in the midst of their uh, persecution they were experiencing, and uh, Lord, their positive sides and their, their negative uh, parts of, of their worship and their, uh, their fellowship and their conduct. Uh, Lord, they were experiencing your presence and uh, your blessing and also sometimes your, uh, your warning. And uh, Lord, as we read through these messages, we find they're so, real, so very uh, pertinent for us as well today, including this, this message to the Ephesian uh, the church in Ephesus. And so we just pray for blessing as we read and as we consider it together tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'd like us to read from Revelation chapter 2. i just read the first seven verses. As I mentioned, I just started a series through these seven sermons to these seven churches, which were actual churches back in uh, the Apostle John's day. And uh, we'll, see, uh, we'll see on the map in just a minute, but Ephesus was actually the closest to where John was at this point. And so he starts with Ephesus, and uh, let me read the first seven verses of Revelation 2. Uh, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil and your patience endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. 
but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So that's our reading from God's holy word. And may add his blessing to that word this evening. Now, brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, I think there's probably a map behind me, or there will be in just a second, and uh, John is on the, that tiny island of Patmos that you kind of see right in the bottom sort of center with the 1 verse 9 uh, beside it, and so it's right, it's right beside modern-day Turkey jutting out there. And uh, we're starting with Ephesus here, and actually, it, it goes in uh, alphabetical order. So the next letter is, you'll see to Smyrna, Pergamon, all the way to, to Laodicea, these, these seven uh, messages to seven real churches. And it's, it's meant to be, be sermons to churches ever since. Uh, Revelation identifies us as living in the last times, these are times between Jesus' first coming and his and his uh, return. It's most likely that John is somewhere in the neighborhood about 90 years old, and uh, at this point, it's, it's, he's probably enduring some sort of physical labor. He's in exile for his faith, uh, for his testimony, for uh, just proclaiming and spreading the Word of God and being a member of the Christian church. It wasn't a popular thing back in those days. They worshiped Caesar, they worshiped all kinds of gods, and, and you know, the apostles in the early church were like, no, there's only one true living God, and Jesus Christ is his Son, and you have to believe in him. And that's becoming increasingly unpopular today. It was incredibly popular back then, and uh, some were killed. Most of, if, as far as we know, of the, of the apostles were killed, and uh, some, like John, were, were exiled. But he has his... He has his identity intact. He's, he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's, uh, he's John, the beloved disciple, you remember? He laid his, his head on Jesus', Jesus chest. He was one of those in, in the, that close group with, with, uh, with Peter and, and James who were often drawn aside by Jesus to, to teach a little deeper some of the things he was, he was teaching his disciples and uh, chapter 1 tells us that he received this vision. So he's, on, he's in exile on this tiny little island. He's enduring uh, incre- increasing persecution. He's, uh, he's being beaten at times. And he tells us about this vision that he received. And in that vision, he sees Jesus Christ. And throughout the book, he tries to express what he saw under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And... Uh, and then he does what Jesus Christ told him to do. And one of the things he says is, is write these messages that I'm going to give you to these seven churches. And then put them in a book and then send them to the churches. So probably all of the churches received all of the sermons uh, that, uh, that John writes down. And it starts in Ephesus, goes in a circle. But the first message, if we're going to just give one word to each of these sermons uh, in Ephesus, it would be love. 
and it's something that's actually missing in Ephesus. Some great things going on, but something is missing. And if you've ever read 1 Corinthians 13, uh, you, can, you can have a lot of good stuff going on in your hearts, in your life, in your family, in your church. But if you don't have love, what Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13, you're like a clanging cymbal. So we're going to look at this, uh, just four short points here uh, this evening. First of all, we're going to look at Jesus Christ in Ephesus. So John always picks a little bit from the vision of Jesus in chapter 1 and then expresses in, in some way to each of the different churches. And it usually connects somehow to what he wants to, what he wants to articulate to, uh, to that particular church. So he chooses from this dramatic vision in chapter 1 just uh, a couple let's say like little clips from the video of what he saw, what he saw in that, in that vision. So a couple of points here. Uh, in, in verse 1, he, he sees and receives the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So a couple things. He sees Jesus Christ, first of all, in, in, his, in his power. He holds these seven stars in his right hand. And 1 verse 20 tells us those are the those are angels, uh, the angels of the churches. And uh, these, are, these are fearless and impressive beings commissioned by God from the throne room to go out and do whatever he tells them to do. You know, we see very innocent kind of pictures of these, of these cherubim or these angels, but they were impressive, mighty uh, fearsome. And uh, in, verse, in verse 17 of chapter 1, when he sees this vision, he fell down uh, at his feet as though dead. Uh, but he, he laid his right hand on me in, in, in this vision and in this experience with, with Jesus. Fear not, I'm the first and, and the last. So you see the power of, of Jesus Christ in Ephesus. No matter what he's going to say, Jesus Christ is there. And he's, his power and authority reigns in Ephesus and in that church. Jesus Christ won. He's reminding this, the Ephesus church of that. But secondly, he also sees the presence. He walks among the seven golden lampstands at the end of verse, verse 1. So the lampstands are the churches. And in chapter 1, he's pictured walking in the midst of these lampstands. So you can imagine a lampstand for Smyrna, a lampstand for Laodicea, one for Ephesus, seven lampstands. And John sees this vision, and, and there's Jesus, and he's walking among them. And that's, that's a, a thing of great comfort, right? To know that Jesus is among us, like he's with us right now. He's with us by his spirit. He's with us in his promises. Jesus Christ is never absent from, from his people. And so there's this wonderful comfort. And then there's also this, this sense of soberness that he's with us. And that means that he cares what's going on. Uh, in our churches, in our families, in our own hearts. We might say it's, it's a great comfort, but it's not always comfortable to know that Jesus is with us because we got things that, that are not as they should be. So just a couple thoughts on, on Jesus Christ in Ephesus. The first thing that he does in all of these sermons is he commends them. So Jesus commends. If there's anything worth commending in uh, at least one of the churches, there isn't. But in, in Ephesus, he begins with, commending them, which is great practice. You start with encouragement. He actually, he actually surrounds his complaint with encouragement. 
because he comes back in verse 6 and says, I got something else that I want to commend you for. So not only is John an encourager, not only should pastors and leaders be encouragers, but Jesus is an encourager. And he's very personal. I I know your works. I, I know all of these good things. I know them. I see them. Every different aspect of your church that you're doing well, it doesn't go unnoticed. People might not notice it. You might not always feel exactly exuberant about performing your calling and your gifts here in church, but Jesus sees it, and Jesus knows it. Uh, Never forget that. And what are they doing well? Well, some things that he loves about them is that they have a, a passion for the truth. And, it, and it's a passion that's, that endures through difficult times, through persecution and through opposition. They were not the type to just kind of bend in terms of their principles uh, when things got hot, when things got difficult. They, they stood up. So there were false, uh, false teachers, uh, false apostles, people that came and they said, I've been sent by Christ, I'm an apostle, and I got a new teaching for you. And, and the elders of that church and the pastors of that church, they, they recognized it was wrong, was, they compared it with the word of God, and they rejected it. They disciplined those that needed, that were a threat to the flock. Uh, Paul in Acts, Acts 20 actually told the Ephesian elders that savage wolves are gonna come and you gotta be on your, on your guard. And uh, there's like some clear evidence here that they were. They loved the truth, they loved Jesus Christ, and they weren't allowed his church, his bride, to be threatened. Uh, Verse 6, this era of the Nicolaitans. We don't have time to get into that and tell you the truth. It's kind of hard to determine exactly what their era was, but probably had something to do with sexual immorality connected to the temple of Artemis, which was the main temple. cult, uh, pagan worship in, in, in Artemis. You can read about the great temple of, of Artemis. There's some ruins still left in Ephesus that you can go, uh, go and see. And they rejected that as well. They hated it. And some, some were preaching compromise. Some were saying you can, you can like have the truth, you can follow Jesus, and you can also kind of give in to sexual immorality. Uh, that's okay. That's just, it's part of living in the Ephesian culture. It's part of being a part of, of uh, the Ephesian church. And those that are suffering for rejecting that, you know, they're kind of extremists, you know, they're kind of fundamentalists. And you don't really have to go. We can find a way kind of through. And it, it sounds very familiar to me um, in our day and age. And they stood up to that. They had good biblical arguments. They were pastoral um, in terms of studying the Word of God. But you know, it's hard. It's hard today. It's hard to keep up with the issues. It's hard to read good books and, and try to find good biblical arguments against some of the uh, uh, sexual morality, sexual identity questions of our day. I mean, that takes a lot of work. And he's like, I know that. And you haven't grown weary. Like, this has been going on for a while, and you fought, and you fought, and you fought, and I know it, I love it, I see it. Basically, uh, he tells them that he loves that they're intolerant of certain things. So, I mean, uh, we shouldn't be known as being, you know, kind of intolerant, judgmental people overall. But when it, when it comes to something that Jesus actually hates, that, of course, there is something very honorable and good 
uh, about being intolerant of that. And so the things that he's against, he hates, they were also against, against those things. So I took part in some uh, evangelistic work that was going on on Friday night. I was at a conference and we went out on Friday night and we joined a bunch of evangelists that actually hang out in Burlington Beach. I don't know if you've ever seen them. There's a bunch of young people that, that go and sing there, have a hymn sing. Maybe some of you do that. But there's a bunch of evangelists from a, from a bunch of different churches. So part of our conference was to accompany them and, uh, and do, some, uh, you know, do some street preaching ourselves or just sharing with people who were going by. So we met atheists. We met, we met Hindus. We met Mormons. They were, they were a little tough to engage with. Uh, we met Muslims. We met, um, we met kind of... Uh, we met some Catholics, some backslidden Protestants as well that we talked to and, and encouraged them to find a, a biblical church. And, and it's kind of like whether it's 90 AD or it's 2023, you know, the calling is, is to counter the lie uh, with the truth and to bring life-giving, the life-giving message of Jesus Christ to a world that is uh, struggling with sin, a world that is lost in sin, and a world that needs the Lord Jesus Christ. And part of that is knowing our Bibles, knowing doctrine, knowing the truths of Scripture well so that we can explain it and so that we can defend it. And Jesus commands them for that. I know what you're doing. I see it. And uh, I love it. Be great if we could just kind of end there and head to the promise. (laughs) But, uh, of course, we've got verse 4, which is actually... Uh, one of the most important things he wants to say to this church and to us here this evening. Uh, when I read it, every time I read it, it's kind of terrifying, actually. Because there's so much encouragement. And, you know, the thought that I could have a lot of faithful things going on in my life and miss the entire boat, that's, I mean, that's, that's good to hear, to, to test, Right? Make sure we're always going back to the vision of, of Jesus from, from the scriptures to make sure we're on the right path. So you're doing so well in these areas, but actually the thing that matters most to my heart, uh, the thing that without which nothing else matters to me, uh, that's missing. You, and you used to have it. I have this against you that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. The commentators kind of go back and forth. There's probably a good argument to be made that he's talking about love for each other or love for the lost, like love for people. But uh, you know what? That's connected to your love for God, right? And uh, so I I think there's application to be made to both their love for God um, and their love for each other within their church, their motivation for why they're doing what they're doing in terms, of, in terms of the glory of Christ and the glory of his kingdom and then also just love for, for each other. Something has happened uh, in the course of their standing for the truth so that now they've abandoned the love part of their responsibility. Here's what, what others used to see in you, he's saying, and what I used to see. You had a, a hatred for what I hated, uh, a hatred for false teaching, for false apostles, for this compromise between like Christianity and the culture. But right alongside that, right with that, was a love for people. 
and a love for me. Like people, when they came into church in Ephesus and they hung out and they were getting, uh, they were getting coffee at the door and they came in while they, uh, maybe they weren't drinking coffee. I don't know what they would have been drinking there. But they, you come in, you start to hang out. And from the moment they came in, I mean, they knew this, this, is, a, this is a Jesus-centered church. And this is a, like, this is a doctrine-centered church. This is a truth-filled church. But they also knew that this is a church that just cares about people. And, uh, and whatever they're doing, like they love Jesus. And that's not apparent anymore. There's, there's some pretty serious questions whether that's actually, whether that's like actually true. That's experience, that's experience I have, Jesus said, and that's experience that others are having in, uh, in Ephesus. Something about the fight, something about about the battle, something about having to endure has twisted uh, what should be at the core. And you've let your, we could say you've let your theological precision to hoist, boost up your pride and to lower your, your sense of humility. And, and it's like it's cooled, it's cooled your soul. Your soul is kind of like ice. And I, I hear Jesus basically saying, I've had enough of it. <laughs> like, this has gone on for so long. It's been, it's been happening for a while. This was not my intent when I called you out of darkness into my marvelous light. When I chose you in myself before the foundation of the world. My Father chose you in me before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, right? That was not my intent, that you end up judgmental and hard and proud. You were known for your patience, for your compassion alongside of your love for truth. You, you were known for being even-handed. You were known for, for listening before speaking. You were known for a winsomeness of the way that you talked about the truth. It was... Um, it was winsome. It wasn't a hammer blow all the time like it is now. You cared about principles and you cared about people. You had a list of truth that, truths that you would not bend on, but that, it's like that list is getting longer and longer, and that's all people see anymore. Your patience is getting shorter and, and shorter. And he basically says, he does says he does say here, soon I'm not going to want to have anything to do with you. That's how, that's how uh, intense this particular sermon is. The first and the last of the sermons are the most intent. So uh, for 10 years, I, I was talking to the elder about um, Mr. Bust. I forget your first name now, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, that I lived in t- for 10 years out west in Washington State, and I still, I'm still signed up for the uh, Washington Hikers Facebook page, you know, because everyone would send their pictures of all the hikes they went on, and I recognize those hikes, and I miss those hikes, and I miss those mountains. I love being here, but I do miss the, I do miss the west coast for some of those things. And so uh, a picture came in the other day, and it was of a snake, but usually it's, it's of nicer things, but it's of a snake. And somebody posted a picture of a snake that they saw on the trail, and uh, they were nervous, as many of us are when you come across a snake uh, in other parts of the world. I know it's probably a garter snake here in, in Ontario, but there it could be a number of things. 
Anyways, the, the, king, the king snake and the coral snake actually look quite alike. So the, the uh, photographer was asking, you know, which one is this? <laughs> Should I be worried the next time I come across it? So a bunch of people in response, I think we have a picture of the snake. There we go. Um, someone put in response, red touches yellow, kills a fellow. Red touches black, venom lacks. So if, if the red and the white, basically, I think that's supposed to be yellow, but if the red and the and the yellow or white match up, it's a coral snake and it could kill you if it, if it uh, bites you. But this one's the king snake because the, um, because the, uh, the, red, the red and the black are, are together. And I, 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 preachers do these things, and I saw that picture, and right away I thought of this, of this, uh, of this text. Because like if, if, as long as your red and black touch, as long as your passion for the truth is right alongside and is touching and is always interacting with your love for people and your love for me, uh, then you're safe. The instant those things are separated, uh, you've, got, you've got a problem uh, in the church. So I, I think that's an important uh, teaching point here this, this, this evening from this sermon to the, the church in Ephesus and how much we should be uh, always in prayer that the Holy Spirit would enable us to keep those things in line. Uh, there's a particular application here. They lost their first love, but of course, uh, sometimes it's losing a love for the, tru- the truth and uh, starting to love the things that God hates in terms of false teaching and compromise and the like. Somebody wrote about this loveless orthodoxy. Uh, They had set out to be defenders of the faith, arming themselves with the heroic virtues of truth and courage, only to discover that in the battle they had lost the one quality without which all others are uh, worthless. So that's Jesus' complaint, and we'll just, uh, we'll conclude with Jesus uh, looking to convict them and to lead them to, to change and even survival. Um. One of the ways, the ways I have into this text, Jesus connecting with, with this church is, is one of those moments that you might have had where you're, where you're in front of, of people in a relationship that has broken. So you're with a couple perhaps that, whose marriage is breaking apart and, or you're, with, you're talking to a couple friends and their friendship is apart or uh, you know a family situation, and you're you're just called in to give advice, or someone's just talking to you about it, and your and your heart just kind of breaks, right? And one of the things is not just because they're yelling at each other, or they're accusing each other of, of certain things, or uh, there's there's faithlessness or whatever, but because you know, at one point this used to be so sweet, and it's like part of the sadness is what has been lost, and that kind of that breaks your heart because it's like so much good was there, and so much fruit was there, and now. I've got to try to rescue it by God's help, and, and I hope I can put it together. I hope there's still a heartbeat, but it, it's, really, it's really, really hard and, 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 uh, and, and, and sad to see what was there before. Now, there, it seems like there's no evidence of it anymore. And uh, he tells them you, what you've got to do. You've got to remember. You've got to remember from where you've fallen. Remember where you once were known uh, for, uh, for a motivation of love for Christ and for his glory and for his kingdom and not for yours. And you were known as those who partnered principles with compassion and with love. You got to remember that and you got to repent. I think right away of the, of the prodigal son who finally realizes how terrible the situation is 
And uh, one of the ways he is led to repent is, is he remembers how good it was in his father's house. Remembers how great it was, how much food there was, even for the servants. And that's what moves him finally to look up and realize this pathetic situation, repent and, and go home to, to his father. And, and, and Jesus is saying, I'm here with you. There's nowhere else to go. There's nothing else to do. You've got to repent. And you've got to turn. And here's what, here, here's what will happen if you don't. I'm actually going to, the, the flickering light on your lampstand, I'm going to blow it out. I'm going to come and I'm going to, I'm going to shut down the church. I mean, this, this happens all the time. Uh, either churches become totally unrecognizable as churches of Jesus Christ anymore, and their lamp really has gone out, or, or churches are just taken, and it happens, it happens all the time for various reasons, but sometimes because the Lord is blowing out the, the light on the lampstand. But here's what I will do, and here's just this great promise that comes, there's a promise at the end of each of the, uh, the servants. So the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of, of God. Here's, here's what I'm going to do for you, if you endure, and if you, in particular, conquer this problem, this deal properly, repentfully, prayerfully with this complaint that I have. And then he gives like this tremendous promise. You're going to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You conquer to the end, and you endure through this persecution, this trouble, you're going to have a, like, you're going to have a reward that's worth it. <laughs> uh, and one, it's one short verse, you get this, this multi-layered, beautiful, bi- biblical theology. <laughs> like that takes you from the Garden of Eden where the tree of life was, and Adam and Eve sinned and they're kicked out of the garden, so they can't go back to the tree of life, they're not allowed to eat of that tree anymore, and and the cherubim are put at the entrance, and they got these flaming swords in their hands to keep them from going back. And, uh, and that, that sense of oneness with, with, uh, with God and having table fellowship with him and just talking to him, like that's, that's gone, and then there's sadness. And then Jesus comes, and he, he deals with sin and death, and he deals with, and he, and he reverses the curse. Paradise is restored, and... Uh, there's this access through Christ to the life of God the Father, to forgiveness, to a restored relationship with Him again. And uh, that's the heart of Christ for, for sinners. That's the heart of Christ for the church in Ephesus. That's the heart of Christ for every one of His, of his churches today as well, including, including blessing, blessings. There's this beating heart of delight in the heart of Jesus Christ uh, for his church. I mean, you will protect what you love the most, right? That's why he comes with some pretty, some pretty tough complaints and some pretty tough warnings. Not because he wants them to, to fail or he wants to remove their lampstand, but because he delights in his people and he cares about his glory and he is eagerly anticipating the day when he's going to come back with the new heavens and new earth. He's going to make everything well. He's going to make everything right and beautiful again. <laughs> right, Revelation 22, the uh, river of, in, in the new heavens and new, life, uh, new earth, there's the river of the water of life, and there's the tree of life on e- either side of, of that, of that uh, river. In that, um, 
I can't imagine John seeing this vision and trying to put it down on paper, of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, trying to capture, you know, just the beauty and the magnificence of what he saw. And uh, it encourages us all the way uh, ourselves to the end. I thought about the, uh, the, three, the three points of Jonathan Edwards' first sermon that he wrote. You probably heard this before when he was an 18-year-old. He talked about every, how every Christian should be the happiest person, people on the face of the earth. And his three points are, our, our bad things will turn out for good. Uh, our good things will never be taken from us. And the best is yet to come. So this is, uh, this is the sermon to Ephesus. And uh, there's plenty, I think, uh, for us to, to take from this and to learn from and to pray over uh, this coming week as well as his church in the 21st century. All right, we're going to have uh, some, an opportunity for questions in just a few minutes, but um, let's, uh, you know that the, the uh, phone number is wrong in the bulletin because my, the area code is 366. I have no idea where that's from, but it's 365, which at first I had no idea where that was from either, but it's from Ontario. <laughs> Uh, but let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just want to give you thanks for uh, giving this vision to our brother John, this disciple that uh, followed your son uh, for three years, that saw him live and heard him pray and saw those miracles and heard all of that teaching and saw him die and then saw him raised and saw him ascended and testified to all of that for our sake, but then also gave us this life-changing, constantly encouraging vision of Jesus Christ and about your plan for the rest, for the rest of history, from the time he died to the time that that Jesus Christ is coming back again. So thank you for this teaching. Thank you for this, uh, for this sermon to them and to us. And we pray that you would, in particular, uh, for each of our hearts, for our families, but Lord, for in particular, as a lampstand, as a church, that we might battle continually for, for both a passion for the truth and a passion for uh, for love for you and love for people. And uh, you tend to put into churches people that, that kind of have an emphasis on one or, or the other of those, of those sides. And uh, help us to listen to each other. Help us to use our gifts well. Uh, but help us all to have a passion for both and, and behind everything that we be motivated by your love for us and uh, motivated with a love for Jesus Christ and affection for you and affection for your kingdom and your ways. And never let us lose our love for each other as well and our love for, for the lost around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.